And I remember thinking, will I ever feel joy again? I mean, that's how low I was, like this is never going to happen. And then I was laying in bed and I heard all of you guys start laughing. Like one of the grandchildren did something funny and everyone started to laugh and I started to laugh. Just hearing you guys, I was in the bedroom, heard you guys laughing, and I started like a big smile on my face. And that's when I thought, I will be okay. I will be okay. My guest on today's podcast is Kelly Thomas, and I have the privilege of calling her mom. Just like I dedicated my book to mom, because without her, Pop's story isn't the model provider story. And without her blessing, the book never happens. And without her support and encouragement, this podcast would never happen either. She has an incredible story in her own right with the adventures and intentional decisions that she took. She has been through suffering, yet she has found joy through the midst of it all. Enjoy this conversation, this celebratory podcast of not only the 100th episode of Become a Provider, but to celebrate mom's journey and all the many lessons and words of wisdom that this episode holds. Enjoy. Welcome to the Become a Provider podcast, where I interview fellow entrepreneurs, athletes, community leaders, and personal mentors of mine who all inspire me to provide in new and creative ways. If you want to live a more intentional life, then this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Justin Thomas, author of Become a Provider, a national board certified health coach, president of Doable Health, and co-founder of the C.L. Thomas Fellowship Nonprofit. Most importantly, I'm trying to become a better provider and leave a positive legacy just like you. So let's begin. Mom, cheers to you. Welcome to the podcast. Cheers, son. Thanks for having me on your podcast. This is the mom podcast. This is the mom podcast because it's a special one. If I plan this correctly, this will be the 100th episode of the podcast. Well, that feels special. You know, I, I spoke with John on episode five, and honestly, I thought you were going to be episode like six or seven or eight. And then oh, it just, wow. yeah, I just thought like naturally. Back burner. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And it just, I, I think it's meant to be. Meant to be. I like it. We were talking before recording how this is just an experiment because we've got Grandma Gay sleeping but not really sleeping. I always like to say how the guest has provided for me. And it's actually really hard to pick one thing. But I was going on a run before dinner and I was thinking about this. I was like, gosh, what's the one thing that I want to share about how mom has provided for me? You're excellent at providing for me a positive example of celebrating other people's success. Oh. Like, I don't know if you know how good you are at that but Mm. like when I do a trip with Amy or the girls and you can't do it because you're watching Grandma Gay or you're busy with your grandson or whatever you have going on I just genuinely feel that you're celebrating with us so I think that's a great characteristic trait and I'm trying to teach that yeah I'm trying to teach that to my girls when I take one of them to a special night and the other one tends to go down that road of being bitter or jealous and then I think of you, I'm like, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We're going to do what Amba does, and we're going to celebrate people's fun stuff. So I wanted to... I am happy for your happy life. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me happy. Um, your sweet family. We're sitting here with, I think, a, probably a good part of your story and your season of life now is you're a caretaker. I am a caretaker. I'm happy my mom's here with me. She's a lot of company for me. She has a pleasant personality. She's funny. This morning she woke up singing 
some kind of children's nursery rhyme. She's trying to remember everything and pull these things back up. So she's pleasant, you know. I mean, it is hard. My life does feel a little small. You know, I'm not seeing you guys or the grandchildren very much, or even my friends. So that part is hard, but it's a season, and I know I'm doing the right thing. And I have friends who are encouraging me because they've lost their moms, and they miss their moms. And I have my mom still, so I'm enjoying her. I thought that'd be a good place to start because, you know, she might say hi or interrupt us. She may come in here and wonder what these <laughs> microphones are. Yeah, which I think, I, I hope we get a little snippet of Grandma Gay. Timing of that was really divine. So tell us about that, like the decision to move her in here, because from what I recall, it wasn't part of a strategy to have Grandma Gay move in with you. Oh, but no. tell us about that. I can't believe I did it. <laughs> <laughs> she fell and broke her ribs, a couple ribs, and she was in a rehab. So I flew out and I stayed a month with her going back and forth. I stayed in her apartment. Just different things started to happen, like her car broke down and then her lease was up. We're thinking, how is she going to recover? She won't have a car. I mean, her car just died. There was no saving it. I remember laying in her bed while she was at the rehab and I thought, well, I'm just going to take her home with me. Uh, this is what's supposed to happen. And so I went back to the rehab and I said, Mom, what do you think about coming home with me? What if, just come back with me and live in Virginia. And she was like, okay, that sounds good. <laughs> and then it was this whirlwind of trying to get her apartment packed, you know, people to come clean, clean it out. You know, it's craziness in California. But we did it. And here yeah. we are. And then, you know, three months in, I thought, what have I done? <laughs> Well, and you joke about it a little bit how you guys are the odd couple. Yeah, we are a little bit of the odd couple. Well, we get along well, though. There's some things I really do appreciate about her, like her positive attitude. She doesn't suffer from, like, depression, and she's not a complainer. She does like a lot of attention, so that requires a lot of patience. And, you know, she's 92, going to be 93. She's slowing down, and I have to repeat things, and she can't hear. She needs help with everything. That's what it's like but I'm glad she's here. What a great example of being open to, I mean, what we believe, the Holy Spirit nudging you in a, in a positive way. Of, oh, yeah. You know, you going out there to take care of your mom, but not having the strategy necessarily of saying, I'm going to take her back home with me. And you just felt maybe God speaking to you, this is the right time to make the move. And she was open to it. Yeah, she was so happy about it. And this is before the world shut down. So it was perfect timing. Wasn't that COVID great? Happened. It would have been horrible yeah. if she were there. And if she didn't have a car, she would be dependent on the people. And in her apartment building, you know, California was strict. They weren't going out. Yeah. Everyone was masked up for a long time. Everything was shut down. There were lines to the grocery store, like Trader Joe's. Her friends were saying big lines. She would not have been able to be alone. So the timing was really perfect. That's probably a good segue into talking about your childhood, because you grew up in California. So what was it like? It was great. I'd had a great neighborhood. It was the kind of neighborhood where all the kids were outside playing all the time until dark. We were like feral children. Our parents were so uninvolved in our lives. They didn't know what we were doing. We were on our bikes driving around. We'd go through the sofa cushions and get 97 cents, and we could take our bikes to the McDonald's and get hamburger, French fries, Coke, and apple pie. You know, I had a lot of freedom. And we had a fun house, kind of a hangout house. We'd set up a ping pong table in the garage, and we had a unicycle, and we'd roller skate when we were younger all around. It, it was, you know, fun. When I moved my mom back here, or when I moved back here when I got married, 
when I would go back to California to see my mom and my friends, I would appreciate other things about California, like the perfect weather, perfect weather, just the sun, you know, hits your bones and there's, there's no humidity, no mosquitoes. And it's beautiful too. Beautiful. California has a lot to offer, but you know, I'm glad I'm in Virginia. I love Virginia. I'm always, was always glad to come back home, but I had a great childhood. Lots of friends, very close friends, still close with them, my childhood friends. Wasn't there a story one time you were visiting Grandma Gay that you actually went to the house that you grew up in? Oh, that was so fun because we had a great <laughs> childhood home on Aragon Boulevard. It was close to the schools. We could walk to them. All the kids hung out at our house. And so my mom, she's so sentimental about that house like we all are. I still have dreams that take place in that house. So... She was sitting outside in her car, staring at the house. And the owner came out to her car and said, oh, can I help you? Or, and she said, well, I used to live in this house. And my daughter's coming. And would you let me bring her back and let us go inside? And she said, absolutely. That oh. was so sweet. And so we did. We took pictures of us on the front door. You know, it looked different, but one thing they still had that my mom did was the hardware on the doors, all the doorknobs. She had these really fancy, I yeah, yeah, I took pictures of them and showed you guys. So that was, wasn't that generous and kind, that house owner, and that was so fun. And then do you want to talk a little bit about your dad? Well, he died when yeah. I was, you know, fairly young. I think I was the least, you know, affected by it because I was the youngest. I think my brother had a harder time. My mom said he would. He really missed his dad and said, I, I want my daddy, I want my daddy. But I had an aunt who, my dad was Catholic. He converted as an adult. And then his sister did because she so idolized her brother, my father. And so I remember her sitting me down and saying, your daddy's in heaven and God is going to bring you another daddy. And she's the one that planted, you know, the seed of faith in my life because we weren't raised Catholic after he passed away. I remember, or my mother would tell me, I would say this all the time to my brother, God is going to bring us a new daddy. My aunt told me that and I believed it. And then we did have a great stepfather, Jay Jacobs. He had a real impact on my life. That's probably one of the first examples of one of the, you know, the traits that I try to live up to is being a blessing speaker. And... How powerful is that to have your aunt to speak those words of blessing over you where you remember it to this day? I do. Yeah. And it gave me a lot of peace. I don't think I had the trauma, you know, that my two sisters did because they had a father that they lost to. Mm -hmm. So that was double duty when my dad died. And for some reason, I just thought my dad's in heaven and there's going to be another dad and somehow it's going to be okay. And we can go in a variety of different directions. And if there's ever anything you don't want to talk about, just let me know. That's tragic as a small child to lose your dad. Yeah. And to go through that. And you said you're young enough to just kind of believe your aunt with it. Well, I think it impacted us all. And we'd probably be different people if he were alive and in our lives. And, you know, it's a, it was a tragedy. He was killed by a drunk driver. The car exploded. Mm -hmm. He was burned all over. And so it was, it was pretty tragic great loss wonderful man you know my mom still always talks about him and she talks to him I hear her talk to him it's the love of her life he was a great man and I think you guys have some of his traits he was very athletic 
very smart. She said he was just the president of everything. Sad loss. In addition to reflecting on his life and legacy, one of the things that I think is really rewarding is to appreciate everyone's story. And sometimes it's hard to appreciate your own mom's story growing up about how big of a deal it was for you to move from California all the way to Virginia. We're doing a fun side project outside of this podcast called StoryWorth. It's a program that sends someone a list of questions and then you one answer those questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you, you're writing your own book about it. And one of the questions recently was, what's something unexpected about your life? And I know a little snippet that you said, well, I didn't expect to be living in Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here I am. Well, let's go into that story. How did you go from California to Virginia? Well, I met a Virginian. So I was in college. I was living in Rockland, California, going to Sierra College and living with a couple of roommates. And we had a mutual friend, your dad and I, his name was Dino. So he introduced us. You know, we became this fast couple and just did everything together, spent every minute together. And he was almost 10 years older than I, nine years and eight months, but I always rounded it up to 10 because that sounded like I was the real younger woman. <laughs> so... He seemed very stable, but, you know, little did I know how unstable his life was because <laughs> I met him under a different name. He was going by Ken Cheney, and that's how I met your dad. And then he told me, you know, after a while, he was going to be gone for a while, and then he was just gone. And a friend from his church, her name was Joy, came to my house with flowers, beautiful flowers, and a letter. And... He explained, you know, his story. And his story was he wasn't Ken Cheney. He was <laughs> Calvin Thomas. And, you know, he had had this, you know, on the run for five years. And explained the story to me. And I was in complete shock, totally heartbroken, just didn't, didn't shock, didn't know what to think. Felt so many different emotions. And I didn't talk to him after that. You know, he gave me his number and everything to contact him, but I, but I didn't. It was years later that we reconnected. You know, while I was with him, I, there were some odd things. It didn't seem, but only in retrospect, you know, not at the time. Like when I got a letter to my house for him, and I said, oh, here's a letter for you. And I could see, you know, the name H.C. Thomas, return address. And so I said, oh, who's that? And he said, well, it's my dad. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, you and your dad have different last names. And he kind of went quiet, and it was a very awkward moment. And I just thought, okay, well, I won't ask any more questions there because, you know, maybe I don't know, maybe it was adopted or there's some story and he doesn't want to talk about it. So I just forgot about it. But that came flooding back. Yeah. You know, after I got the letter, I said, well, <laughs> <laughs> I wonder, is that a fake name? And that makes sense, too, because, I mean, you lost your dad. And, you're, you know, like you and your sister had different, different dads growing up. So it was like you had a little bit of that back in your mind. Could have been something like that. What other weird things uh, do you remember about like, oh, yeah, in retrospect, that was odd. Yeah, he just was, would say some odd things, kind of a little bit about freedom. He always talked about a certain sense of freedom because he didn't have it. He wanted to kind of settle down and get married, I think, and have children and have a life. And he knew he couldn't until he straightened out his life. So I think that that's what was going on when we were together. He thought, well, I can't keep doing this. I need to be able to marry her or marry someone and so that's when he turned himself in and then that part of his life took off and that turned out well 
with the grace of God, he was always aware of the grace of God on his life. Mm. He is a redemption story. Yes. Yeah. So and your book really helped explain that. And and just to pause real, real quick, you know, people don't know the story about how two weeks before Pop's death, I knew nothing of this. You and Pop kept this a secret. Mm-hmm. And was that, by the way, was that an intentional decision that you and he talked about? Or was it just a complete understanding? Like this just does not get spoken of. You know, I think he had more wisdom in the matter than I did because I thought it was such a great testimony. It's like, oh, you have this great testimony of the Lord in your life. But I think he was really wise to wait. So you guys were older. You had a family. You lived your life a little bit out there. And, you know, maybe you might have been embarrassed of his story when you were younger or ashamed. He would have just been heartbroken if you guys had any feeling like you were ashamed of your dad or what he did. So he was... He didn't want to, and he doesn't feel like he owes everybody his whole story. So he waited, and I think I think it was the right thing to do. I'm glad he had the time. He barely had the time, you know, to personally tell you guys. That was very special. Oh, my goodness. That was amazing. So when Pop reached out, you know, and said, I want to expose my story to you, I was so excited. Like, what story is there? I mean, there's a part of me that just knew there's always more to the man, but... It was amazing. I remember calling my brother John and saying, when can you do this? And we were on top of it, which I'm so thankful for. That would have been such a horrible moment if we dragged our feet, mm-hmm. didn't have that conversation with them. The two of us go up there, hear his story. And like you said, he could have been like a circuit speaker. He could have gone like to churches mm-hmm. and oh, been yeah. the, the guy. But he never wanted to do that, of course. No. The short version of the story is that he was a drug trafficker mm-hmm. across state lines. And at that time, that was a big deal. Like the FBI was involved oh, yeah. and he went on the run and you met him at the tail end of mm-hmm, that time. At the end. He became a Christian in California at a church with John um, Terrell, pastor. They kept in touch, you know, their whole life. And that was just the way God worked that out. Did I tell you that I spoke with Pastor you did. John Terrell? I'm yeah. so glad. Yeah. yeah. He married us. <laughs> So, yeah, we got married in California. So, so yeah, so, so you, let's get back to the story there. So you had mentioned you get this letter explaining like, hey, I'm not Ken Chaney, I'm Seal Thomas, and uh, I've done this awful thing, and I'm turning myself in, and here's my number in case you want to call, and you decide, I'm not going to call. No. Not then. But then we got back in contact, and we talked on the phone, and... And that was years later. You said years, years later. Years later, yeah. yeah. But then it was just like right back we just fell right back into pace and I could tell he really got his life together and he was working at a furniture store he owned it so he asked me to come out to Virginia and sent me a plane ticket I called my mom and said well can I can you drive me to the airport I'll come spend the night with you and take me to the airport I'm gonna go see you know they didn't know his real name (laughs) so this is all they met him oh they did yeah they they met him once and Casey hung out with my brother but you know different name so all of them met him it wasn't just you that met Pop as Ken it was yes yes so briefly but they all met him briefly and so they were like who who well you remember oh my gosh (laughs) but I didn't you know tell the story my mom is usually very positive and so she was okay with it so I get off the plane and I'm, you know, holding my hand out with the diamond ring. I'm getting married. I'm getting married. I'm going to move to Virginia. And then my mom is like, well, let's go have champagne and pie. <laughs> and that's what we did. We did have champagne and pie because my <laughs> mom is the kind of person who kept a bottle of champagne in her refrigerator. 
for moments just like this. <laughs> and even when I was cleaning out her apartment, she's 89 years old or something, and there's that a bottle of champagne oh, in her refrigerator wow. for the next th- thing that she's going to... And, and you have to have pie with it. I know it sounded, you know, crazy to people, and I didn't care because I felt so strongly that I was doing the right thing. Oddly. Yeah. What made you feel so strongly after someone like, you know, just think about it. It's, like, it's so bizarre to me to think, like I said, it's hard to appreciate your parents' story. But to then find out from Pop when he told us the story, I, the first question I asked Pop was, so Pop, help me understand, what name did mom meet you under? And that's when it clicked, like, yeah, he was, he shared with you his fake name and you still got together. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I knew it sounds, <clears throat> sounds odd. It's, it was a different coming together, you know, but it was our story yeah. and it was a good story. We, we were good together. Our personalities fit. We were different, very different, but I mean, it helped make life, you know, we made it work, mm-hmm. you know, with our different personalities. You know how he was so generous. He loved his family, you know, worked hard, good, decent guy. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that I loved his family. I met his family met his dad. We went to the house on Walker Street in Radford, Virginia. Met Joe. Maureen was off somewhere. I liked his family. And then his dad and um, his sister, Nancy, came to our wedding. So they were supportive. And that was back in California. Mm -hmm. We got married in Napa. Then we flew back to Virginia and I started this new life out in Virginia. The unexpected life. Yeah. And it was another thing about three months in. What did I just do? twice no more perfect weather yeah no more sun on your bones no mosquitoes i had all kinds of allergies when i first got here hay fever all these new trees and you went from the bay area to rural virginia just to give people a picture like there's nothing it's just yeah oh i remember when he picked me up from the airport and then we get to the bottom of the road you know going up through the driveway and it just kept going and going and winding and winding and i thought what what? What have I done? So we're driving up. This is when I was just visiting. And come to the top of this little mountain, and there's this little log house. And it was, um, you know, not finished. There wasn't a floor, and the cabinets didn't have doors. <laughs> Designers say that there should be a focal point in every room, and his focal point was a bumper pool table <laughs> right in the middle. He had to walk around it to go to the kitchen, to the living room. He had these two big Dobermans, and which one of them just did not like me at all, would growl at me. Wow. So, um, yeah, it was different. But then, you know, after we were married, I completely enhanced the house. Yeah. Your designer skills were much needed. <laughs> yeah, we added on, almost like another house. We put a pool in. So we had a great little piece of paradise there. It was a charming place. But, you know, it was a different story. And I understood people thinking it was crazy. Or I even remember granddad, his dad, thinking, well, this is, she's never going to stay here on this top of this mountain in that log house. This is not going to, this isn't going to happen. Everyone thought that. But I did not care. And I don't think he did either. Because I understood that it did sound crazy. The whole thing did. And I didn't share his story with too many people. You know, not even my family until much later. So, and then he shared with Casey because Casey could relate to him because my brother, Casey, you know, had his issues with substance and so they could relate and he shared a story and when he wanted to, you know, he would share that part of his life to people who he felt like could benefit from it or, you know, relate. 
But yeah, I mean, it's a different story. <laughs> it's amazing. It makes me appreciate how much of a miracle I am. Uh, you know, as you think about those early days of moving to Virginia, does anyone come to mind of particularly providing for you in a unique way? Here you are. You don't know one. The thing about Virginia is that, especially the Christian community, oh my goodness, they just take you in. And there are all these little churches. And Papa and I would visit all these little churches trying to find where would be our church. I remember when I was pregnant with you, I really, you know, I don't know if we were in a particular church, but these ladies, people I, I barely knew, threw me this shower. You know, they're just very loving and friendly. And then I would go into Blacksburg a lot, which is a town, you know, maybe 25 minutes away from where we lived, which is more of a college town, Virginia Tech. And it just seemed like, oh, I can relate to this town has some shops and <laughs> and I one funny story is I there was a commercial on and it was it showed a picture of Roanoke Roanoke Virginia you know big buildings and I said to pop where's that where let's go there <laughs> civilization then when I went to Blacksburg I found a church and met um, your diaper buddies, yeah. friends, mom, that's what we called you guys because you were all in diapers. And I met these lovely women, Loretta and BJ and Janelle, and we became a little pack and we're still friends. And you guys grew up together. And that was my support system when, you know, moms need moms. And then I just kept meeting more and more people and collecting all these wonderful friends. You know, they've been a big blessing. My friends have really provided for me. And my childhood friends had such an impact on me. We all came from families who were just not that involved in our lives. And we became like a little family. So we were really close. And we still are. My friends have been a big support. You know, we couldn't do it without them. Mm. Family members, you know, after Pop passed away, Joe and Maureen, they were such a help to me. That's his brother and his brother's wife. And, you know, then we had that tragic fire the Floyd house and you know Maureen helped me pull all that together with the house and Joe so I really can't thank them enough they've really provided in a huge way for me I have a lot of people to thank in my life and I know some really good people and you do a good job of making new relationships like whether it's going to a new church and like you must play a game with yourself like I want to meet one more person or one new person here I do do that like when I was going to this pretty large church by myself it was so big, no one really talked to each other. And I'd say, okay, I'm going to, I'll go in, I'll go to the coffee setup place and I'll talk to the person, give me my coffee. And then if I'm in the restroom and I'm in line, I'm going to talk to the women around me. And I just made a point. I didn't settle in that church. It was a little bit too big. But there were other churches, you know, that I found were really outgoing and friendly. But I do, I do try. I think that's kind of an interesting little thing to dive into. What makes you so good at making relationships from being totally a transplant from California to Virginia, maybe that, that helped in a way of like, I have to do this myself. Pop wasn't much of a help. He's not a socialite. He wasn't no. wanting to make new friends. I remember when he told me he didn't, he didn't need to meet any new friends because he had his friends already. <laughs> I said, what are you talking about? And he just meant, you know, he had his Radford people, the guys he grew up with. You know, we did have some couple friends, but not many. So that was, that. so I knew, you know, I had to have this separate life of girlfriends and then I, and I did. And I, I think because I was so close to my childhood friends, maybe, you know, we were like sisters and close that I just, that's the kind of relationship I want with women. 
I want to be the person that they can call at three in the morning and I will be there. And I feel like I have a handful you know, of people like that in my life that are there for me. And when you have tragedies, like your spouse passing away or the fire, you, you know, you, those people show up mm. and they're, you know, they just, they're just there. That's when you see people really, I think just doing the right thing by showing up, that means a lot. You don't, they don't have to say anything. I remember one friend, you know, when I was in bed, it was like the fire, because the fire happened like three or four months after, you know, your dad died. And it was just too much. And I remember thinking, I can't get out of this bed. Mm. I can't believe this is happening after everything. And then one friend just texted me and she said, I'm coming over. And she just came over. You guys were here and you were in the living room. She came over and she would just sit in my bedroom. And then she'd go and, you know, in the living room with a few guys and play with the grandchildren. That was just, I just remember, you know, you remember the people who made an impact. And I, I take little notes like, oh, I want to be like that. I, you know, I can send a text to say, I'm thinking about you. You don't have to respond to this because that's helpful. You don't feel like you want to respond all the time. But just seeing something pop up on your phone without the pressure of explaining how you're doing, just, you know, I'm thinking about you. That's when, you know, you realize it and you see it when tragedy hits like we've had in our family, sadly to say, but everybody does. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and we're better, we'll be better, we'll be able to help the next people that go through something like this. Well, it's such a beautiful example of you wanting to remember when you're positively touched to do that for someone else because you know what that felt like when you're in bed not wanting to get out after, I call the second death, right? We have Pop passing with a heart attack and then three months later, oh. a fire at you know, the terrible. family house. And it was like a second death. We did feel like a second death. And I remember thinking, will I ever feel, you know, joy again? I mean, that's how low I was. Like, this is never going to happen. And then I was laying in bed and I heard all of you guys start laughing. Like one of the grandchildren did something funny and everyone started to laugh. And I started to laugh just hearing you guys. I was in the bedroom heard you guys laughing and I started like a big smile on my face and I that's when I thought I will be okay I will be okay I have this this family and we will be okay and then I would force myself like I would get up every morning and turn on Beethoven's Ode to Joy I thought I, I need an Ode to Joy I don't feel joy but I'm gonna play this beautiful song that's how I started my morning making coffee we all uh, know how Pop would want us to live. We would not want us to crumble, stay in bed, drink, do something negative. He'd want us to live a good life, be creative people, be generous like he was. He was so generous. And, and, and to strangers. And then to people he loved, too. Would you mind sharing the story about Cracker Barrel waitress? Oh, yeah. Huh. And this was towards the end of his life, too. He was just always so generous. So we were in Cracker Barrel. We noticed this scene going on with this uh, server and her table and the manager, and something went wrong. The young woman was visibly upset and, and crying, and she was trying to pull herself together so she could get to the other tables, and she did. And she could you know, get to her other tables, and then she'd kind of fall apart a little bit. So we're kind of watching this and thinking, oh, that's so sad. And then... So Pop says, we're getting ready to leave, and he gives me $50, and he says, 
I want you to go up to her and, and give her this and tell her tomorrow will be a better day. And I said, well, well, you should do that. This is, it's your blessing to give you, you do it. And he said, no, I can't do it. I'd be like a creepy old man going up to a young girl, <laughs> giving her money. And I, and I like how self-aware he was about things like that. And I thought, well, he's right. So I went up to her and said, my husband wants you to have this. And he wants you to know that tomorrow is going to be a, a better day. That was such a sweet blessing that I got to share. And he was so generous like that. And I'll tell you another story of when we were very first married. And he was generous in a way that I, did, I wasn't. I would have thought that I was a generous person, maybe. You know, I wouldn't say that out loud, but to myself, I probably would have thought, well, I'm generous. But anyway, we had our neighbors up. So they came up, and we I guess we had dinner, and we were showing them around the house, and nothing, not much to show. It was pretty small. But, you know, Pop did have some touches, and in the loft bedroom, there was an A-frame at the end, a really pretty little room. And hanging from the loft was this beautiful stained glass like Tiffany lamp, but really, really pretty. Because, you know, Pop's an artist. He had an artist eye for things, and he had chosen that. At that time, that was how the house looked. And she just went on and on about it, and where did you get it? And she just, you know, raved about it. So they left, and then Pop says, we need to give that lamp to Montez. And I said, oh, no, no, what? No, no. And I just explained to him, this is how women are. We just admire things and we say, oh, that's beautiful, but it doesn't mean we want it. So no. So I just shut that down completely. But, you know, had he took, taken it, you know, down and brought it to her house, I think she would have loved it. So it always took a little pleasure of that lamp after that. Whenever I'd look at it, I thought, oh, <laughs> oh she was just so sweet. And he was like that with that the week before he died. And we took that trip to Whitegate to the Amish place. We're on Main Street and we're turning up the road. And there's this big old guy on the road, big hoodie. And he's hitchhiking. And Pop says, oh, we need to pick him up. And I said, no, what? No. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Just keep going. We're not picking him up. Just keep going. So he keeps going, you know? And then he said, but I think that's so-and-so, you know, this, he's kind of a special needs guy in town. Everybody knows him and they pick him up and give him rides. And he has some kind of job that he goes to. And so then he's explaining this to me. And then again, I'm like, ah, why do I shut him down when he's trying to do something, you know, good? So I say, well, if he's still there when we come back, Let's pick him up. But I'm thinking, really, like he's not going to be there an hour from now. Well, we come back, and there he is. He's still standing there. So, you know, Pop's laughing, and I'm like, oh, we have to pick him up. So he gets into the back seat and starts kind of jabbering a little bit. And, you know, Pop can't hear because he had um, hearing loss in his right ear. That's what kept him out of Vietnam, but he really could not hear. And so he, and this fellow had a bit, bit of a speech impediment. So I was the interpreter. And so Pop would say, what's he saying? And I'd say, he's saying he ain't got no money. He ain't got no money. <laughs> and Pop would kind of giggle. And then, you know, Pop's car was, well, he had everything in the car you could ever possibly need. There's all kinds of things back there, cooler. And, and there's some gloves back there. So this guy, I like these gloves. And I'm, you know, repeating this, your dad. He likes your gloves. He, he has your gloves on. Yeah. He's wearing your gloves. 
And then, um, so we're getting, we're going through Timbuktu yeah. to this house. We're driving over this rickety little bridge over a creek. I think, where are we going? And we show up to this little house, and then like three more big old guys come out. I guess they're used to people picking them up, so they're coming out to see who it is and dropping them off. So the guy um, gets out of the car, pops, gets out of the car with him, and he's got his gloves on. And, you know, Pop says, you just keep those gloves. And he said, and here's some money. Gives him some money. And then the guy said, okay, well, I'm going to pay you back on Monday. This was a Monday, too. So it was a week, exactly a week. And and that Monday, Pop died. Wow. And, and Pop, of course, knew, if, you know, that wasn't going to happen. But it was one exact week. Oh, my gosh. Really? Yeah. The mother of these big, huge guys, they look like football players, was a really good customer at the store. We had a furniture store back then. And she would bring him pinto beans and cornbread. So he oh, knew the family. Yeah. So, yeah, he was generous like that. I, I think an amazing story, and you don't have to share if you want to, but the last words Pop spoke to you, like uh, words of blessing. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, I feel like his death was divinely timed. Everything the way that happened, we had the best night together. And one of Pop's problems from his um, surgery was he kind of lost his taste, and also he couldn't eat very much at one time. And we had gone to this Mexican restaurant the night before he died, and he had this huge meal, and he ate it all. And I hadn't seen that in years. And we kept saying, everything tastes so good. Like, every bite we took, we went, wow. Like, it was just everything was intensified. And so we had a great time together. And then, you know, remember we got in the car, and he turns to me, he's driving, and he says, I know you think I'm going to live forever, but I'm not going to live forever. And I said, I know, I know. And it was such a solemn moment, because he was just totally serious. I was trying to kind of joke about it and said, well, you know, you're, you're, you're going to be here to take care of me. And, you know, but then he just still kind of in that solemn moment, he said, let's go pick up your car. And, you know, this is at night, dark, you know, the place is closed, but it's one of those places where the bill's in the front seat and the keys are in it. So we do, we turn off and we go a little out of our way and pick up my car. And that was supposed to happen the next day. We were, that was what we were going to do the next day is go get the car, you know, and pay him and, you know, when it was open. But I think he just knew. So we get up there, we have a great night. And then, you know, that morning about four o'clock, he wakes up and says, oh, this is, you know, something's not right. And so we get up and we go in the living room and, and we're sitting there and he's, and I'm thinking, well, we have to go to the hospital, but he doesn't want to. I know he doesn't want to. So he keeps telling me that he's feeling better, but he wasn't feeling better. He just did not want to go to the hospital or leave. And I kept saying, well, maybe we need to. No, no, no. I'm feeling better. You know, just rub my back. And I, so we just sat there together and, but he, he was in a lot of pain. So, you know, I put the blanket over him and just kind of sat there as rubbing his back. And, and then I said, do you want me to put the wood in the fire or open the you know door to get it going and start it? And he said, yeah. And so I went over, opened the bottom grate, you know, left that open for a while then opened the bigger one and put some wood in. And he said, you did a good job. And I kind of giggled because I thought he was talking about 
getting the right size wood in there, you know, the timing between the two doors, because I was so horrible at it all the time. Our whole entire married life could never start a fire, keep that stove going. <laughs> one time when he was in one of his big trips out west, Malcolm had to come up, the guy that worked for him, to get the fire going in the, <laughs> oh my gosh, in the wood stove. Oh, it was pathetic. So I thought he was saying, that's why I giggled. And so, but when I turned, and I had, I wasn't looking at him. And you know how sometimes they say when someone leaves the room, that's when they pass. It was kind of like, that's what happened. I turned away and was fixing the doors. And then when I looked back, because I heard kind of a gurgling sound, they have that kind of last breath. And his arms were stretched up to heaven. Like he would have that stance when he would pray around the living room. He'd walk around with his arms up praying. And, and that's exactly what he was doing, sitting on the sofa, his arms stretched up to heaven. And I would just kind of looked at him for a minute. Like I just wasn't sure what was happening. And then his arms just dropped across his chest and he was gone like that. Wow. Yeah. So I just ugh, slayed there next to him for a while before I called anybody. But those were his last words. You did a good job. So I hang on to that. And I repeat it to you guys. Yes. You did a good a job. Blessing. It is a blessing. What a sweet thing. And I'm, you know, glad I was with him. And, oh, when we were driving and when he said, you think I'm going to live forever, but I'm not, he did say, when I do go, I want it to be fast. And I thought, oh, my gosh, he got exactly what he asked for. You know, the Catholics call having a good death, pray for a good death. And I think Pop had a good death. He, he went, I was there. He went fast. He had some pain, but, you know, He's tough, and he was hiding that, but he had a good death. It was fast. You know, he would have been a terrible patient, you know, if he was, you know, had a stroke or couldn't move or this would not have been good for your dad. So um, he went the way he asked. That was a blessing. With all of those many stories, how can you not just think that was a good death? I do think that. I just think we had a really anointed last night together. It felt really special. That gives me a lot of peace that he had a good death because the Lord just took him the way he wanted. And he was, you know, at his home that he loved, our Floyd house, and, you know, by the fire. And his best friend, I called him, and he came up, just took care of everything. So Raymond was another one that provided for me. He was the one who called me. Yep, he called you, yeah. And wasn't he just, just so calm? I mean, his best friend just died. Mm -hmm. So we were both mourning, and, but he just took, he just got into like provider mode. He was going to do this for the Thomas family. He showed up, he was on his way to work, turned around, came over, and just stayed with me all day until you guys got there and took care of everything. He knew who to call and what to do, and the police came up, and so he was a big help. How about the health journey that you've been on. So mm. after pop passes and tragedy happens, mm -hmm. you have some severe health conditions. Yes, I was not feeling well, and I just thought it was stress because there's always stress, and several doctors will tell you it's stress. And But I did. You know, sometimes you ask at the end of a podcast, what are the ways you provide for yourself? Yeah. Well, what I did, which I never thought I would do, so not like me, I hired a health coach, my lovely... Janine. So, and that was from your company. Mm -hmm. You guys had health coaches. And 
And it was just perfect timing because I wasn't well. And then COVID hit. And that's when everyone got really focused on their base health. Like, we need to be able to survive whatever this COVID thing is. How healthy are we? What's our vitamin D level? You know, what are we eating? And so that kickstarted it. And um, that really helped me get an eyeball on, you know, what was I eating? How was I feeling? Was I exercising? Which is usually a no, <laughs> never. Good thing I have stairs at my house. So, um, and Janine, it wasn't just that, but she was a real cheerleader and a positive person in my life. And she would just say some profound things just when I needed it. So that was a really good investment I made in myself. And that was an unusual way to provide for myself. But then, um, you know, I still had some issues like with migraines. I'd get these migraines and I think, why am I getting these migraines? I'm trying to figure it out because I don't want to go on the prescription for it. So I thought, I'm just going to keep experimenting. And then I recently found someone who is talking about oscillates in food and then the foods that are high in it. And I had had a food sensitivity test and I eliminated the things that showed that I was, you know, sensitive to. And that I think helped. And some of them were these high oscillate foods. And so I've been on that now for several months and I did not have a migraine for two months. So I thought, Maybe I found it. I found what was causing my migraines. But I recently had one, so still experimenting. But I am going to stick to this. I'm sticking to animal-based diet and, and some of the vegetables that I can have that are low oscillates. And you had a low oscillate dinner tonight. Yeah, thank you. That's perfect <laughs> for this. Well, and even before that, you did some intentional investing into yourself I think like with a functional medicine physician too, oh, right? And doing some right. testing with that. Was that, didn't you find out some interesting things then too? Because I, if I remember correctly, you're having some like knee pain and one doctor just said like, take a Tylenol. You're she like, told Look. me to take a Tylenol. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes, I have been taking Tylenol. Even I thought of that doctor. But it just shows like a lack of curiosity. And then, and then I think you found a, like a, integrated medicine or functional medicine physician that at least did some additional testing. Yeah, she did. Dr. Telti, yeah. She helped me. I found out some issues that I could, you know, deal with. And she cares, you know. She did lots of testing. And she'd say, we're going to find out what's going on and I'm going to help you. You know, after this other person I was with, it was so I was so discouraged by what they told me. Take Tylenol. Oh, my gosh. I think she thought that maybe I just had arthritis. or But she didn't go any deeper. Just like, just see ya. So that's when I went to this other doctor and she really helped me. And that feels good when you're not feeling well. And someone says, we're going to find out what's wrong. And so she treated me for, it's like Lyme disease. It's kind of a cohort to it. It was Bartonella. I've been bitten before and I'm sensitive to bites and things. And I think that's something uh, I was sick with that. But I could not bend my knees. And it was actually at your house when I decided something was really wrong with me. I, John was there. and I was changing a diaper. And I couldn't bend my knee. I was on your sectional sofa at the end there. And I was trying to change the diaper there. And I, I couldn't bend my knee. And I thought, well, this is really odd. That's totally gone now. So she helped me with all that. And it was sort of a couple different issues. So, Yeah. When you find the right doctor, it makes a difference. You need a dream team. Like you need a physician, maybe even a health coach, maybe some... Health coach. I, I can recommend a health coach. That was great. 
and just the personal health curiosity. Like you're genuinely curious. Let's get to the root of this. And then some level of belief that, hey, maybe there's a solution before proceeding to this particular medication. Mm -hmm. and, and that's a harder road to, to do, isn't it? takes time. You know, I haven't had sugar in a long time. And um, that was really hard. Talk about that. Oh, Talk about, it's terrible. Like, so, so why give up sugar? Like what, what was the motivation well, behind that? Um, I had something called candida, which is just a overgrowth of yeast. We all have candida, but I guess my numbers were pretty high. And I was a sugar addict. I had a bite of sugar after every meal. So Dr. Talty said, well, you need to go on this uh, candida diet. And it was like nothing, You'd, no sugar, you know, no fruit. I don't think I was even eating sugar and fruit. Yeah. And so um, no carbs, you know, where I was off bread. It was, I felt so sick, you know, for a good week. I felt like I had the flu yeah. coming off the sugar and carbs, but I did it. And then I was so proud of myself, kind of an overinflated. <laughs> feeling of success like wow i would add sugar for a month that's really hard it is very I, hard i think a lot of us think that we could do that but if anyone wants a challenge right now give up sugar for 30 days and you'll see how hard it is i mean yeah we have a lot of it in everything and when i say sugar take out even the the fruit and the and the carbs and try it and just see and and they'll probably experience something similar that you you experienced which was this withdrawal and you could feel it oh i i felt like i had the flu and you're right like no grains because it's all sugar. Yeah. You know. So completely off that. And and then it worked. You know, that helped me. And I've just stayed off sugar. On special occasions, you know, I'll indulge. But Yeah, you did a good job with that. Like, your lifestyle is no sugar. And then yeah. you're still enjoying life, though, with those moments. Yeah. There's, there's a time to party. <laughs> <laughs> Have a piece of cake. It's like Grandma or sometimes cake. I'll have a piece of bread and just think I'm in heaven. You know, I could be good at a restaurant and have bread and butter. I think, oh, divine. But on the d daily, you know, I don't. As soon as I added meat back in my diet, I felt great. So that's what I know for me for sure. I've learned some things of how I should eat and how I feel. And I really do tune and listen to my body. And I'm drinking, you know, a lot more water and you introduce the electrolytes element. Yeah, we're talking about that. That's been a big help, especially. That's great. And, and I've heard that helps a lot of people like you were describing when you're coming off sugar and carbs um, to be intentional with those electrolytes helps a lot. Yeah. You probably weren't drinking that then. When no, you were I wasn't. That. No, yeah. you introduced me to it. And so I think those, those, those are like little lessons learned. Like you said, you know, you just have to be more in tune with your body and then interested in it. And then you find out what works for you. That's right, yeah. And I feel pretty good most days. And you need to because you're, you're caring for a grandma game. Like I know, about, and you know? you know, and I have a, a little daughter here and a, son, a grandson of special needs. And so I know that I have to be healthy and strong and be able to take care of people. Well, you've already answered the question of how you're providing for yourself. Was there anything else that you wanted to reflect on, how you're doing that in this season of life? You know, it is more of a time where I'm more withdrawals than deposits, but I'm aware of it. And I do small things for myself, you know, like I like to create beauty around me. So I, I splurge on fresh flowers. I always have fresh flowers in my house, the vase on the window and the one in the living room and another one in the kitchen. And if I have extra, my mom likes them in her bathroom. <laughs> and then my mom and I are going to go to the Greenbrier this month. That's a big splurge. And that will be, she's just fun to go to places like that because she really appreciates that the elegance and beauty and getting dressed up for the dining room so that'll be fun 
Yeah, I, I take care of myself, I think. Even with the diet, I think I'm doing that for myself. And then, um, I do Bible study fellowship on Zoom, so I can just go into the back bedroom. We have a real sweet group there, so those ways I'm providing for myself. And I love your example, too, of you know, you're self-aware that giving a lot more than I'm receiving. However, I'm going to make sure to do these small things that are big to you, like beauty around you and the flowers and then the, the trip that you're taking with Grandma Gay. And you know that's going to bless her tremendously. Like, oh, she's going to, yeah. She'll be able to stand the car ride, you know, because she knows where she'll be. Yeah. And it's a beautiful place, and it just feels like total luxury. Oh, I'm so glad you're doing that. I know. I know. It's going to be great. It's beautiful. This was meant to be. I, I was expecting us to pause many times and Grandma Gay to come in and do Very this. Very unusual. We'll have to have her as a guest <laughs> down the road. But, Mom, thanks for doing this. Oh, thank you, honey. And thank you for writing the book. Because, you know, Pop, you know, he wanted a story written down and he tried. You know, he and his friend Ken, they got together and got the tape recorder out and, you know, tried to get down as many things as they could remember. And, you know, he just ran out of time. He ran out of time and they didn't get it done. But you took the baton and you finished it for him. And now we have become a provider. And it's, you know, Pop's story, but it's also a story for, for everybody, how we can all be better providers and be better people to each other and take care of each other. So I want to thank you for that. You provided that for our family, and it's a legacy for us. Thank you for listening, and I hope this episode provided some real value for you. If it did, please consider leaving a review. And if you're looking for more helpful resources to support your provider journey, subscribe to my free newsletter called Always Provide at justinthomascoaching.com. Every Wednesday, the latest issue is sent and includes the highest quality ideas I have about providing. Each message includes three tips. Two are about providing for yourself and one is about providing for others so you can make sure that you're serving without burning out. So sign up for my newsletter, Always Provide, at justinthomascoaching.com. And until next time, keep blessing and protecting.